Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. Mark Simon is with us. Mark Simon is the president of Animatics and Storyboards, Inc. He is a man who built businesses around not only his own artistry, but also his experience and track record in the industry, a broader industry than just animation. But today, that's what we're going to talk about. If you want to do the next job, wherever you're working, don't tell people you think you can do it. Do it first and prove you can do it, and then you'll get the job. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? I never wait for things. So whenever I wanted to do something, I just did it first. So when I landed the job animating Tinkerbell for Disney, I didn't go and say, I know I can animate Tinkerbell. I created a demo reel proving I could do it. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me is our co-host, Fred Keating. We are still in Banff, Alberta, and we are at the Banff World Media Festival. And we have a special treat for our listeners now, Fred. I actually interviewed Jeannie Simon a little bit earlier, and you were not there for that interview. But now we have her husband. Tell us about her husband. Mark Simon is with us. Mark Simon is the president of Animatics and Storyboards, Inc. He is a man who puts his thoughts, feelings, and emotions and has built businesses around not only his own artistry, but also his experience and track record in the industry, a broader industry than just animation. But today, that's what we're going to talk about. The credentials range from, I'm going to let, I'm going to introduce Mark himself and have him tell us, Mark, thanks for taking the time to join us today, first of all. And how did you get from where you was to where you are now? Well, I've always wanted to be an artist. I mean, that's never been anything different. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to be. In fact, it was funny, my dad, having been a musician before he became an engineer, would send me off to music class, and I would come back with cartoons drawn on my sheet music. So it became pretty clear to them, forget the whole music thing. This is going to be a kid that's dedicated to art. But the best advice my dad ever gave me, which really resonated, was that study anything you want, I'll finance all of your schooling as long as you also study business. And I thought, well, that sounds good to me because I want to make money. You know, yeah, I love what I do. So it feels like I never work, but I want to make money at what I do. So I double majored in art and business. We often talk about the business side of show business, and it's always nice to find somebody that has a, a foot in both camps as opposed to looking for somebody that has the expertise that you don't. Now, Fred, I want to talk about where this gentleman is now. This is somebody who has 4,000 or more credits He's worked on animation projects and live motion projects for Disney, for Nickelodeon. He's worked with Spielberg. Dealt with at least, what, it's 40, 41 features you've been involved yeah, in? Yeah, I just wrapped my 41st feature, the Woody Woodpecker for Universal. And the Barbie franchise, the animated Barbie, yes? It's funny, a lot of people don't realize how many Barbie movies there have been. This was the 28th Barbie movie I just finished working on. I was the, I was the lead story artist, and I oversaw the entire crew. And you animated Tinkerbell for Disney. That was actually my first animation job. I mean, what a great way to start, right, in the industry. I originally, when I moved to LA, wanted to be an animator, and I failed the animation test that I took because I didn't realize you had to work up. I've never worked my way up in anything. I've always started at the top. So when I went out, I thought I would just start as an animator. I didn't know you had to work up. So I then went back to my roots of construction and started designing sets for movies. And two weeks into my first movie, I became the art director. 
And so I've never really worked on anything less than art director. From that, just it kept going on, and, and I get, then got into storyboarding because I really missed drawing as much as I had when I was younger. Then when I thought, you know, it's time for me to get back into animation again, I built my own demo reel of animation. And I took it to a new company, a production house that was based at Disney in Orlando. And I went in and I presented my stuff and I walked out of my first pitch meeting with a contract to animate Tinkerbell. But you have a number of ventures going on that are related to animation as well. Aren't you in a, a, a training program that, that mentors other up-and-coming artists? Uh, one of my companies is Sell Your TV Concept Now. So in that, we help people who have ideas for TV shows on how to properly develop package a pitch. So, for instance, here at, at Banff, we've got a number of our clients that we've been training them on not only how to put their project together, but how to pitch. And then we set up meetings and we bring them and we mentor them through the entire process of pitching to the networks. And you've done this at more than just the Banff World Media Festival. You do this at a, at a variety of industry events or festivals around the continent. We do. We, we do this all over the world, um, literally all over the world. And so we do a lot of traveling. We do four or five major conferences a year where we bring our clients to. So it's everything from Kid Screen Summit to Real Screen Summit, Real Screen West, NAPI, MIPCOM, all over the place. So it's it's great. And, and it works incredibly well because I didn't start selling my shows, my own shows, until I had a mentor that showed me how to work these conferences and we've done everything you could possibly do wrong and there's no reason for other people to always make the same mistakes we did so we put this together in a way to keep you from wasting five years of the learning that it took me and of course the we in this context is your wife Jeannie who I interviewed previously and she actually gave us some pretty good pointers what are some of your favorite pointers of things that you really should be doing in a pitch or maybe things you should be avoiding well the main thing you should do in a pitch is be very clear on what type of show it is because a lot of people might be pitching a comedy but no one knows it because it's too dramatic the way they say it or they don't talk about the characters the biggest thing for reality show producers that we see is they get into talking about the rules and no one cares about the rules rules are irrelevant Tell me the story that I'm going to get out of watching that show and why it's entertaining. Because if I'm not entertained, I don't want to watch it. It always comes back to the story, doesn't it? That's one of the great things about everything I've been able to do over, uh, over my entire career is everything is really based on story. I've written 10 books. All of them are story-based. Even then, when they're like how to storyboard or how to produce animation, a fun story about when I landed the contract for my animation book, my publisher kept after me and said, please write a book on how to produce animation. I said, well, there's a lot of great books out there. I have nothing to add. I mean, these guys are amazing who've written these. They said, but we want you to do it. We like the way you write. I said, if I can figure out a way to do it in a different way, I'll do it. And I won't otherwise. And then one day I realized, I was looking through all my animation books and realized no one had written a book that told the story of how to produce animation. From concept through development, through the actual production, post-production, and then what do you do with it afterwards? Where do you take it? What do you do with this thing you've now created? No one had done that. It was all disparate pieces here and there and all over the place. I thought, well, that's my story, and that's my book. So I wrote the first book on how to produce animation from beginning to end in order, tracking one of my productions. You can see my own production grow as you go through the entire book. So there again, in addition to your artistic skills, the ability to create the product, the storyboard, the illustrations, the business side uh, comes in. I think in so many learning institutions are focused, rightly so, on the skills of the students or the learners and increasing those skills. Mm -hmm. 
but less is dealt with about the business of or the process of the art or craft itself. Well, that's actually one of the reasons I didn't go to an art school. I wanted to or I wanted to go to a film school, but none of them had business courses. So I wanted to understand business. I want to make money at this. You know, I want to live comfortably. I enjoy money like most of us do. And I always hated that term, starving artist. I've never believed in it, I've never lived it, and I never intend to, and I don't think other people should either. You know, as far as I'm concerned, anyone says that they don't want to sell out, they're the ones who are copping out. I can make as much money as I want doing exactly what I love, whereas a lot of artists who are, oh, I don't want to make money, I don't want to sell my art. It's like, why wouldn't you? You're going to go work at Walmart? I don't have to work at Walmart. I'm doing what I love every day, and I make a really good living at it. You've been in business since you were 12 years old. Tell us about that first business. Yeah, the first one was, uh, was my skateboard business. And when I was 12, I was a competitive skateboarder. And uh, since my dad owned a construction company, we had a really large wood shop, woodworking shop at the house. And I didn't like some of the, the skateboard designs that were out there. I thought I'd make my own. It became really popular out on, when I was out on the circuit skateboarding. And so I made four or five plans and created my own skateboard line. And then I sold it to Schwinn. So Schwinn was distributing my first set of skateboards. And then I went out and I, uh, Dad and I designed uh, stickers. So I was selling stickers with my name on it. You know, this is back in the mid-70s. And I really kind of dug that. That was fun. And then when I was 14, I took over my dad's uh, business, or I took over as superintendent for my dad's construction business. So I was literally the only kid who would drive to school in middle school because I would have to drive out in the morning, open up the jobs, drive to school, go to school all day, and this is in seventh and eighth grade. Then I drive back to the jobs, close them down, and then drive home for dinner. Kind of a different lifestyle growing up, but you know, since I always wanted to be an artist anyway, what I started then doing was I started doing all the architectural drawings for my dad, then started doing his business cards and the trifold flyers and all the marketing for the different things he was doing, signage, silkscreen, you name it. And then his clients or some of the people, some of our vendors started asking, well, where'd you get all this done? Dad said, well, my son is doing it. So now I started doing all that kind of work for all of his vendors and clients. Then I ended up, while I was a senior in high school, creating my own advertising agency called Nomis Creations. And Nomis is Simon backwards. And I kept it going. And when I went to college in, uh, in East Texas, I kept it going. So I actually ended up paying my way through college with my own ad agency. And so, for instance, there were things, again, all going to story. I love putting a story into things, even with a billboard. Whatever I could do in a single image in advertising would help sell the product or sell the story we were trying to do or get the feeling across that someone wanted. So why did you go to business school if, in fact, you'd been in business for a number of years prior to getting into college? Same reason I still go to uh, the talks at these conferences. I can always learn. Mark, let's summarize. You've been a skateboard designer. You've worked in a construction company, and you kind of learned set building there. You have owned your own advertising agency. You are an animator. You're a live action director. You have helped launch a television network, Nickelodeon. You've worked for Disney. I think our listeners want to know what your secret is. How have you been able to pull this off in one life? I, there's nothing else I want to do. You know, and whenever I have an idea for something, I just go for it and I just do it. The way I always look at things, especially like if you want, if you want to do the next job wherever you're working, don't tell people you think you can do it. Do it first and prove you can do it, and then you'll get the job. I never wait for things. So whenever I want to do something, I just did it first. So when I landed the job animating Tinkerbell for Disney, I didn't go and say, I know I can animate Tinkerbell. 
I created a demo reel proving I could do it when I wanted to do storyboarding. My first storyboarding job was at HBO for First and Ten, the O.J. Simpson and Shannon Tweed series. And I was the uh, construction coordinator and set designer on that show. And I went to the executive producer and I brought him a bunch of, a bunch of sample storyboards. I said, look, I'm here. I'm on set. You're paying for me anyway, but I want to do your storyboarding. If you have need, call me. Two weeks later, he called me. And that started building my portfolio. I don't believe in just talking big. I do it first to prove to my, both myself and other people. And am I to take away from that that that's the same expectation you would have if, in fact, you start to gather around you a team of, of collaborators? You would expect them to be able to demonstrate off the top that they know how to do the job not just talk about what they would do if they got the job. You know, that, that's a good point. That's, that is exactly what I expect out of people. And, and I always want the best around me. And my company has a really strong reputation, my storyboard company. I'm not going to bring in someone unless I know for certain that they're going to deliver a quality job. Does that mean they need to be the best story artist? No. It means they need to be extremely good at what they do, but they also need to be responsible that I know they're going to deliver on time, they're going to be professional, they're not going to be a jerk, they're not going to make my client mad, so they're going to properly represent me, they're going to have the right attitude because I want that client coming back, because when my clients come to me, whether it's me or one of my artists, there are certain things that they're going to expect, and, and I've trained all my guys that there's certain ways we do things, and because I've been doing it for so long, I really know the best way to present. You know, that's also why I wrote the main book on storyboarding. You know, it literally is everything. It's like 456 pages. I don't know anything else that's not in that book. And all my guys have to work that way. So someone could be better, but if they're not going to follow my rules, they're not going to work for me. I can sum that up very simply. Attitude is more important than talent. That gets to the nub of some of our previous conversations, Marvin, where we talk about assuming a certain level of skills or you wouldn't be in the game for very long at all. But those softer skills, maybe softer is not the right adjective, but in fact, the character traits that have helped you become the success you are, are there character traits that you possess that have in any way ever hindered or handicapped your success? Oh my goodness, yes. Um, well, part like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I've never really worked my way up. I've, I, whatever I do, I kind of end up on top. And I'll give you a quick example, and then we'll, we'll get to finishing that question because this represents it. On the positive side, uh, a friend of mine, when I was working and living in L.A., had asked me if I would be a PA on a production assistant on a commercial, banking commercial she was working on. And I said, I don't, you know, I'm an art director. No, I don't PA. She goes, look, we start shooting at 6 tomorrow morning, and I just lost the people I had. I just, as a favor for me, please, would you just help me out? I know you're not a PA. That's not what I mean. I need help. I trust you. I said, for you, I'll, I'll do it just for a day or two, just on this one shoot. So I went out there the next morning, and it was funny, too, because the first thing that the, and you're not going to believe what I'm going to say here, the first thing they asked me to do was to make coffee. And I said, I really don't think you want me to do that because I've never made coffee because to this point in my life, I've never had a cup of coffee. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink tea. I have no caffeine. I'm just kind of naturally this way. I was going to say, yeah. you don't seem to need it right. with the energy I'm feeling. So, so working on this, as I'm going back and forth and moving things around, doing my normal PA stuff, I'm watching the art department struggle with putting some elements together, some signage or whatever it was. And every time I walked by, I made a little comment, well, it would help if you did this, help if you did that. And finally, they stopped me. And they said, Why, how do you know all this? You're a PA, right? I went, yeah. I said, but you know, I'm just doing this as a favor. You know, I'm, I'm an art director. I design all these types of things. So I've, I've done a ton of this. So before lunch, I was head of the art department. You know, I've never not risen to the top instantly. 
on something. So where that's hurt me was like when I first moved out to LA and I took the animation test, I taught myself animation. So the dope sheets, which are the, the tracking sheets that you fill out for frame by frame on where everything's go, no one taught me how to do it. I taught myself. The problem is the way I taught myself is not how the industry does it. So I failed the animation test because when they went to run it, they were reading it a different way than I was reading it. And that was my fault because I didn't work my way up through the system. I didn't know any other way of doing it. So just to be clear, the reason you didn't have to work your way up through the system wasn't because of you walking in with an arrogant attitude. It was because you were able to walk in and you proved that you could do the job. That's true, but no one would accuse me of not having some arrogance. I mean, look, well, I mentioned attitude. Attitude also is ego, and I've never understood the idea that ego is bad. I think ego is great. If you don't believe in yourself, why would anyone else? Quick little story about that. After I had finished my first movie, The Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, that I did down at Roger Corman's studio, the second movie, I was called in for an interview, and this was related to me afterwards. So I, I go in the interview and, and going through answering whatever questions. I don't even remember what they asked, but just knowing me, it was like, yeah, of course I can do it. And I walked out, and the producer told me later, she was talking to the director, and the director looked at her and goes, wow, he's pretty cocky, isn't he? And she goes, yeah. Do you think he wouldn't move mountains to prove himself right, to make sure that he would not fail us? He goes, oh, you're right. He'd do anything to make it work. And I got the job. If you have a complete confidence, and, and it's not arrogance, because arrogance is really when it goes over the top and you're annoying people. But if you have complete confidence in yourself, other people will have confidence in you. I mean, I could talk to you about a lot of things I do and you having never seen what I do, you're going to assume I'm really good at what I do. And it's because I have complete confidence in what I do. The same way that I guess when one is trying to get their PhD, the oral examination, getting a sense of context and, and where you've gotten or gathered along the way, the knowledge you need to proceed is uh, more important than actually having to print it out or I guess in your case, you could just show them storyboards your your illustrations are stories in themselves are they not they are and it's you know even before i got into storyboarding i was also a syndicated cartoonist again it's drawings that tell a story when i was art directing it was designing a set that told a story and a lot of people say well how is designing a set telling a story well when you walk onto a set and you see that the cushions are filthy and everything's on the floor and there's sports magazines on the table and sports memorabilia and trophies on the wall who lives there a guy who's into sports I just told you the backstory of the guy who lives there. So absolutely, art directing and design is part of storytelling. You know, I was an editorial cartoonist for a while. That's coalescing and uh, something that's happening in politics or in the local vicinity into one image in maybe a couple words. Well, that's really coalescing a story down to its most basic core. I published a magazine in college, and I ended up syndicating that to four different colleges because everyone liked it so much. It was all stories. We did it differently than the school paper did. I, you know, I had worked at the school paper. I didn't like what they were doing, and they wouldn't print some of the cartoons that I had drawn because they were afraid of retribution. I'm not afraid of anything. So I quit the paper. I printed the cartoons and an expose, and I took half of their advertisers. I was going to ask, when do you sleep? But I, I'll try and, and put it another way. What do you do for recreation? My work is my recreation. If I'm not getting paid for things, I'm still doing storyboarding. I'm still drawing. I'm still writing. I love what I do. You know, you've heard the adage, if, uh, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I don't look at what I do as work. You know, so uh, yeah, I work incredibly late nights. And to me, it's just, well, that's what I'm going to be doing anyway. 
I just happen to really make a, a good living at it. I love every aspect. And it's also why I've done so many different things. I want to try this. All right, I'll do it. If, if it's working out well, great. That's, that sounds like the Vince Lombardi uh, philosophy. You know, you, you aim for perfection, and though you may never attain perfection, the consistent aim for perfection brings you to a level of excellence that becomes, with all sorts of muscle memory, well, a secret keep, to success. You have to keep working at it. I mean, it's nothing I do is perfect. I might feel it's perfect for now, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to try to do better on the next one. And that's also what keeps me energized. I want to do better each time. It's like my storybook book. I've written three versions of it because each time it's like, oh, you know what? That could be better. So I'll make it better. And I just do it. So that's the difference, is it not, between a profession and a job? That's a, that's a good way to phrase it. I usually say a, a career and a job. A job is working at McDonald's. A job is something you go to nine to five. You do it just for the money, and you go home, and you try to find something that en entertains you. A career is something that you want to be the best at, that you can't wait to do. I shouldn't say I'm lucky because I'm not lucky. I've worked my butt off for what, I, for what I've got and what I've done. But I've never worked a day in retail. I've never worked a day in food. Not once. I've always been an artist. It's always been art, construction, design, directing. That's it. And Fred, I think this is a perfect place to wrap up because this gentleman is the absolute personification of monetizing your creativity. Really is. And also, the last couple of statements he made is, again, why, and this is why I often use the term profession, is because we talk about practicing in a profession. Doctors practice, lawyers practice, art directors and illustrators practice. That's what in my mind, differentiates it from the, the nine to five or the job you have because you need it as opposed to because you love it. Mark, thanks for joining us. This has been fantastic. Thanks, guys. It's been great being here. It's, all, it's fun to talk to you. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.